Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast, all the way up to episode number 115. I, of course, have Tom, and Neil's out there somewhere. Say hello, Neil. Hello, Neil. How's there that? you go. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for and that. And, of course, one. listen, you can get a hold of us at our normal spots, of course, Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook, or you can send your hate mail to punktillidie77 at gmail. And we've, anyway. got, and we've still got stickers, so we're right stickers. stickers. All yeah. right, listen, that's enough nonsense. We have a very important guest, and I'm not going to keep him waiting. He's probably <laughs> most famous for being a drummer, but he also plays bass. He also fronts a band. He's played with a little couple of bands you've probably heard of, Neil. You ever hear of a band called Sam Hain? Oh, maybe once or twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played in a band called Undead. Yep. Plays bass in a little band called Danzig. <laughs> well, there you but go. before all before all that, he was just a kid from New Jersey. So we're we're really happy to have Steve Zing with us. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? We're doing well, man. I'm I, I think I'm a, you know I'm a huge uh, fan of the whole you know Misfits, Danzig, Sam Hain, the whole like family of bands. So I think I'm about as nervous as I've been in a long time. Even though you seem like a totally you- laid back dude and have given me no reason to be nervous. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to be nervous. You know, you're just talking to a guy from New Jersey. There you go. So you you grew yeah. up in you grew up in Lodi. You you I mean you went to school with like uh, you went to school with Doyle and and uh, Jerry. Uh, no, Jerry was um, Jerry is older than I am. He was already out of school, but I went to to school with Doyle from kindergarten through high school. So we're like each other's oldest friends. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom, are you still there? No, I am. I just, I just took a drink. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe, you, trying... I thought maybe you passed out with excitement there. No, I have that. I have that bad <laughs> habit of stepping on people, and I'm really trying. Uh, today's the day I'm going to not do that, Neil. Today's okay. the day I'm not going to step up. People. Gotcha. <laughs> Got concerned. <laughs> so, uh, so you grew up with you grew up with Doyle specifically. So, at what point uh, you kind of were there when he got into the misfits or you were around before that or when did you start hanging out with those guys well i again i've been friends with doyle since kindergarten so i was there the whole way through so were you there like in the i mean even before doyle was part of the band yes of course Hmm. and at some point you said man i want to do this thing well it goes like this doyle came into uh it was right after the summer of 78 and mm-hmm. in high school he's like hey we were freshmen and he says hey remember i tell you my brother jerry's in the band i'm like yeah he's like hey come to a rehearsal they're gonna rehearse in my my you know in my garage so i went over and i sat in the corner and they launched into some of the early static age stuff and just blew me away and i'm like yeah i'm gonna do this and i think i'll be in a band with that guy that's singing over there so i used to tell my friends that and they'd go oh you don't even play anything what are you gonna play i'm like i'll play the drums they're like you don't have a drum kit i'm like i'll get one so not long after my mom got me a a used drum kit from a from a kid that um lived near us who wasn't playing and i decided i was gonna learn the drums i learned it on my own by playing to the ramones because doyle had turned me on to all the punk bands at the time he would make me these eight tracks and had everything from you can record eight tracks 
Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Wow, absolutely. I learned something. Okay. So uh, he would make me these eight tracks because that was eight tracks were big back in sure. the, you know mid late seventies before cassette, and he'd make me these you know stuff, and I would play to it, and I built my speed playing Ramon songs, and again I was I self taught myself because we didn't have any money to get lessons or anything, so and um, that was that. So, like, pardon my ignorance. So, who was who was playing drums before that? When on that original Static Age stuff? Well, that was a guy by the name of Mr. Jim Jim Catania. Oh, Mr. Jim. That was actually a big influence on me because he had a certain style, and um, so I would listen to those records, and that's how I learned. And then, you know, I guess it was five years or six years later, um, then we started Sam Hain. <laughs> so, well, and, and you would. And you had called your shot. You had said, I'm going to play with this guy, Glenn Danzig. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So so what about when you're putting, okay, so you're putting Morning Noise together. What, did you get some high school friends, or how'd, you, how'd, that, how'd that band end up coming together? Was that your first band, or did you do a different band before that? Well, no, there was there was a, a few bands that didn't really do much, but they were, you know, we were just, you know, I guess you want to call them garage bands, right? So sure. it's myself and my cousin John who was a uh, part of Morning Noise as well. And so we would start getting together. And then Mike, our singer, who grew up across the street from us, um, you know, we, we would we would have crab apple fights with him and his sister. <laughs> I really didn't know him. But, yeah, yeah, I know. Then we got to know him, and and he, uh, he, you know, we would talk about music, and he was a punk, punk rock fan as well as huge, huge, David Bowie and Iggy Pop fan. Mm. So he came down and we just started jamming and then kind of writing songs. And then one thing left to another. And we started a band. Our first band, real band was called Implosion. So it was the same, pretty much the same guys in Morning Noise minus Tommy, our guitar player. And we played some shows and stuff. And then, you know, everybody had different directions who was graduating high school and whatnot. So we wound up going our separate ways. And then, I met Tommy, Tommy Kaprowski, through the drummer from AOD. Um, mm. You know, another great I, New Jersey hardcore band, yeah. Yeah, and I got to jam with him, and I knew he was not in a band. And I said, "Hey, how would you like to be in a band?" He's like, "Sure." So I called up Mike and Chris. John had left for the Navy, and um, I said, "Hey, let's do this." So that's how we started Morning Noise. So what are we talking, like 19, 1980, 81 or something there? I want to say it's 81. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, that'd be like 40, 40 years, years ago, ago wow. mate. Yeah, 40 years ago. And at that point, obviously the Misfits are a big influence. You've been sitting there watching, watching them play and watching them practice for, well, for years. You couldn't, but, well, and, and when I couldn't watch them practice, I would – so I lived next door to the – like. So their house was the last house before this set of apartments where myself and Mike lived, <clears throat> Mike, our singer. And if I couldn't get into the garage because Doyle wasn't around, I would sit on the rooftop uh, by the garage and listen to them rehearse. So all these other kids were out partying and having fun, and I was listening to the original Misfits rehearse. Now people pay $500 to do that. <laughs> <laughs> used to sit on the roof and do it. Ouch. 
Yeah. So at some so at some point you guys you guys got your got to get so I was gonna say so obviously the Misfits are an influence but you know what I've heard of it I mean you guys were what else were you guys listening to what what was you trying to the Damned maybe I mean what 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 were your other big look, influences beyond the Misfits uh, all all the you know obviously look the Ramones um, I mean you name it at that time a lot of the English punk bands uh, hmm. especially the Damned right. I mean, I was fortunate enough at the the uh, Madison Square Garden show that the Misfits played. The Damned opened up, and I was there yeah. for their sound check. And uh, Captain Sensible said, "Does anybody know? Wait for the blackout." And I, it was like, again, nobody out there. It's just me, the sound men, and their crew. And I raised my hand. I'm like, "I do." And he says, "Come on up and sing it." And I got to sing "Wait for the Blackout" with him. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. I I, yeah. I saw the damned a couple of years ago, and I gotta say they are still astoundingly good, aren't they? They're amazing. You know they they're just they're just great. You know they're great musicians and always yeah. have been. And you know um, you know Dave Damien still one of the greatest. You know besides Glenn Danzig, obviously one sure. of the great voices in in in. I don't want to just say punk rock, but to me he's got a very distinctive voice that you know I don't think they got the the credit that they deserve, including even the Ramones. I mean, the Ramones are the Ramones, but they never got the Green Day um, status. Yeah, they, they never got they rich. Yeah, it's criminal, got, in it? It's no, criminal. No, that's, not, that's not true. They did get rich, to be honest with you. They they really did. did. But they, at the end, well, you know, I don't know if you know much of the story, but Johnny Ramone it was uh, on top of their finances. Yeah. And yeah. if you, you know anything about them... They never toured in a tour bus in the in the states. It was always yep. a van because he, yep. he knew that they were going to be no bigger than what they were. So he's like, he took control of the finances. He ran it like a like a well oiled machine, like and an army they, sergeant. They all look. They didn't make Green Day money, but they retired millionaires. Hmm. That's good to know. Of course, n- none of them were able to live very long in retirement, unfortunately. Well, that 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 is a sucky thing. I mean, that's unfortunate, you know? Yeah. Joey's, I say Joey's definitely been on the mind lately. Cause they just put out his, they just reissued his first solo album on a beautiful pink splattered record. So I've been kind of rewriting okay, that, that story through my head. Cover, he had that, he did that cover. Uh, it's, um, what a uh, wonderful world. Wonderful world. Yeah. Great, great cover. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it really was. And a pretty, and a pretty good album overall. Probably the best of the solo, the Ramon solo. Yeah. Albums. But anyway, yeah. So it's 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 so, yeah. So go ahead. We these influences, you know, coming at us at that time, and then of course, hardcore was had just started hitting, right? You know, sure. uh, with with a lot of the DC bands and and stuff, and the New York bands. So you know, I I think I was I look at myself as being very fortunate to be influenced and surrounded by all the different types of uh, punk genres, right? Because you had. You know, you had West Coast hardcore, DC hardcore, Boston hardcore, New York hardcore, and then there was the punk element. So I think it was kind of everything wrapped into one. And then you had the Misfits, right? Mm-hmm. And the Misfits kind of out by themselves. And yeah. I don't care what anybody says. That's why they're special. Because yeah. yes, they were they were built on 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 the uh, um, punk rock foundation, but you can't take away what the influence Glenn had on every one of those songs. Yep. 
And that and was there... from his upbringing of, of whether it was the Doors, um, Elvis, uh, Elvis, and you know, um, Screaming Jay Hawkins, all things like that. Mm-hmm. It's you know, so you, you know. So I, I I was pretty fortunate to be surrounded and influenced by all of that. drummer obviously did you do you feel were, were you involved with the you, you were talking about writing songs so were you involved with the musical end of it too a lot of times we you know drummers are kind of drummers right drummers are, are an odd breed you know that you're a drummer <laughs> they're an odd breed and and so were you involved with the music writing process too yeah yeah absolutely because before i was a drummer i actually i i had i had a i had a guitar from when i was like seven years old and as soon as someone showed me how to bar a chord, I started writing songs. So I could mm. understand the melody of the song. And um, so, yes, of course, I was involved with that. That's, to me, that's one of the most important parts, right? Yeah, I didn't want to just play the drums. I wanted to be involved, and, you know. Well, well, it's interesting now because, you know, you're doing the, you're doing the, the reissue of the, of the morning noise stuff. M O U R N I N G noise for those of you at home, and the you know you're obviously taking a real active hand in it. It's just it's just sort of unusual for a drummer to have that much you know to be be so involved. But obviously you're kind of the name of the band too. You you have you know you're kind of the name from the band. So, but no, it's interesting. So at some point you well, guys, I, no, go ahead. Sorry. Not, um, no, I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, I was just, I, I uh, like I said, I'm going to try not to step on you. That's going to be my goal today. But no, you, uh, at some point you guys put out a seven inch, right? I mean, you guys, you guys were, you got it together. You put that out the Dawn, our, of, Dawn of the Dead seven inch. So what happened was um, my high school graduation gift from my mother was the recording time and the pressing of our first 45. Well, that's amazing. That's an amazing yeah. present. Yeah, it really is. I think that I really got is. like an electric typewriter or something. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my mother, you know, my mother was a very open-minded person and took me to a lot of shows back in the day, like uh, this rockabilly guy Robert Gordon. Oh, and she took love me Robert to see- Gordon. Love Robert Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. And took me to see the Stimulators back in the day and whatnot, yeah. and and she would she would you know she came to our show. We played Max's Kansas City, 
as implosion um, before morning noise. She came to CBGBs a bunch of times. So she was very supportive and loved the fact that, you know, I was finding my own way. Hmm. And uh, it was very supportive. And that's, you know, other kids wanted a car, right? And I didn't want a car. I didn't get a car until uh, I was about 18 because I wanted, you know, she's like, what do you want? I'm like, I want recording time. <laughs> And and to press the forty five, she you, said, "Okay." You mentioned the stimulators there, Tom. Do you know who played drums in the stimulators? That was a young Harley Flanagan. It right? was indeed a young Harley Flanagan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Har- cool. I'm very close with Harley. Are you? Um, yes, Harley uh, recorded his latest EP at my house, and uh, actually, I think he'll be here Thursday night for dinner. So no kidding. Uh, we've be- yeah, so we've become very close and. We're going to continue working on stuff, and I I do so I do live sound for him when when time permits. Because they they did I know they opened some of the Misfits reunion shows at least one of them right. Oh, a bunch of them. I in fact he he flew me out to do uh to um do sound for a bunch of them. So yeah, because it's funny you know for years I think Harley kind of got a bad rap and everybody was I think a lot of people were like sympathetic to John Joseph, but the fact of the matter is now that Harley's got the name back for the Chromags, he's proved that he was the Chromag, no question about it, because he's actually put on new stuff. John Joseph hadn't done anything I'm, new for thirty freaking years. I'm right. Well, there's that. Um, there, I, I won't say anything bad about John. I'm not going to put anybody down. Sure, but when you when and. Here's the thing, you know, Harley is, Harley's kind of like Glenn, in a sense. It's black or white, right? There's no gray area. It's black or white. And he's going to tell you what he thinks about you or what he thinks about the situation. And that's what you get. What you get is what you see and what Mm. you hear. And and you have to um, commend somebody for being totally honest. And a lot of people don't like honesty and you know, it is what it is. Harley sure. to me is a very good musician. This guy plays bass like, like he's Jaco Pastorius and, you know, and he knows like working with him and constructing songs. He's amazing. I mean, and he'll sit and play guitar or then he'll jump on drums and he's got a very hmm. good, he's got a gift of, of um of really knowing what he wants and he's picturing it before it's even put down on tape hmm. so he's he he's very very and and as far as like his musical ability is second to none he's very well versed in all types of music like hmm. we'll be sitting here and you know we'll be barbecuing and all of a sudden he'll put on something crazy like and i'm like they're like like funk and all of a sudden, he'll get up and he'll start jamming on a chic song, right? And which mm. is known for the fancy bass playing. And he'll just start playing it like it's, like it's nothing. Mm. So, you know, he's very, very well versed in a lot of different things. And, um, you know, a talented motherfucker. That's all I could say. Mm. That's good to know. So, okay. So, all right. So, so your mom your mom paid for the studio time. Did she pay for the pressing too? Or did you guys just kind of scrape your pennies together? Yeah. Or was it all part of the same yep. thing? No, so, different. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, you guys just from you, selling it at shows? Uh, just How many of them did you have well, made originally? No. I had a thousand made. 
and um, we we didn't sell it at shows. Maybe we did. I don't even remember. Uh, but Glenn was always kind enough to hook me up with all these indie distributors that mm. you know he was using missiles. So you know we'd send out five copies, ten copies, hoping to get paid in thirty days. You know, so now there, now there's really no indie distributors left. But back in the eighties, there were tons. Mm. I just so I, I wonder. I just looked I, it up. On, I, I just looked it up on Discogs. Do you know how much this goes for now, Steve? If you can, if you no. can find an original copy. No, it's uh, there's one for sale, and it's from Spain, believe it or not, and it's three hundred and eighty dollars. Mm. <laughs> How's that make you feel? <laughs> Hope you have a whole bunch of them stashed under your bed. <laughs> It's funny because you're gonna knock the you're gonna knock the knees right out from underneath that bootleg market here uh, next month with the with a proper vinyl release of this stuff. So at some point you made a record, you made like a full length album too. We did, and it never got released. So back in the I think it was 1996 or 97, I got uh, one of the guys from uh, AOD had contacted me about this label that was in California. Uh, and I don't really want to name them because they're out of business, but it doesn't matter. And mm. so, you know, the guy, you know, gave us some money, not a lot, like hundreds. And sure. he put it out and it never really got to see the light of day because he would only sell it via mail order. And because he didn't want to put a barcode on it because he's like, well, if a distributor gets it, then they can return it with a barcode. I don't want to take returns. So I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. So I got to talking to the people at Cleopatra 
probably four or five years ago, to be honest with you. And it was kind of like um, we waited and waited and I had the contract and, you know, it was just busy and like, you know, life passes by, you know, and finally I'm like, all right, let's do this. So we did it. And uh, I'm glad to see you got the right, you know, the right, the right push as it's getting right now. And uh, you know, there's some limited edition vinyl on uh, the vinyl and the CD has some live stuff on there that the vinyl doesn't have. So it, it's pretty cool. It's got a lot of songs. It's got a lot of songs on it and it looks like some really nice, it's gatefold, some nice vinyl. It's definitely, I've, I've had my, I've got it. In, I've got it in my <laughs> cart right now. It's, it's a very cool looking record. I'm going to definitely have to pick it up. I love these sort of bands like this, seeing the light of day like all these lost yep. sort of lost eighties bands. So, so there were actually some records pressed, but just very few of the, of the LP. Is that what you're saying? Like the guy in California it, made a well, few of them. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't vinyl. They were CDs. And again, this, it, there was only out a few years, but very, very limited. Mm. So, um, so it's finally getting then, the attention it deserves. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Glenn did the forward on this. So, you know, Glenn did really the forward, cool. and you did the you did the liner notes, right? Like the because I just I just got I just bought an album by uh, a, a band a similar situation William Duvall's band called uh, Neon Christ. They just put out like an album with all their stuff on it, and I'm so fascinated. I, I swear I like reading the stories almost as much as I like listening to the records sometimes. So anyway, this, this is a real cool looking package, man. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, he's a good singer. He is. A pretty good guitar player too, I think. Yeah. It's, so it's just kind of ironic. I was going to say because we were just talking about Cleopatra Records yesterday, weren't we, Tom? Because they put out such weird stuff, but they that's do. Glenn's, it's really like, eclectic. It's really eclectic label. They put out some live kind stuff of and Glenn's, reissues, and you the know. last couple albums, well, I think Glenn has done. He did the movie through them. Yeah, I think they're probably the largest, uh, or probably one of the last largest distributor, you know, music uh, indie music label and distributors in the world, um, you know, they do everything. They do air supply. I mean, they do. They, <laughs> it runs the gamut uh, as to, like, the bands that they, they reissue and stuff. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and they, do, they do all the live like, stuff and stuff. They've got live they stuff. They do all the weird, got... uh, like, Rat Scabies has all these weird projects. The original Damn Drummer, I'm sure you guys know, obviously. Oh, but yeah. they do all these weird, weird projects. Just, it's just, yeah, it's very eclectic. They do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. There's a new one with Rat and the singer from the '69 Eyes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So they have something new out. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so when when did you? So I actually researching a little bit. When did you play with uh, the Undead, which is obviously Bobby Steele, former Misfit? You played drums for the Undead for for a bit. I think it looks like a couple different spots. Yeah, for quite a while. Um, uh, so Bobby Steele played uh, some guitar on the Morning Noise uh, 45. Really? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So the original, well, I think it was four songs or five songs, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, he did um, some guitar work on that. And that was, there was, a, there was an old beatnik guy by the name of George Germain. And he lived, uh, you know, right by myself and Jerry and Doyle. And he helped the Misfits out, kind of helped them record a bunch of their 45s. It was pretty, pretty, he was like a father figure to us, right? He had no children, 
him and his wife. So we were like his kids. So he, he kind of took me under his wings and actually introduced me to Glenn in a, in a more formal way. And which is how I got to, you know, be friends with Glenn. Um, and, uh, when we were doing the morning noise record, he had a, a lot to do with it. And he said, why don't I call Bobby and see if Bobby would come and play some, you know, filler leads and stuff like that. And I'm like, sure. So that's how I got to know Bobby. <clears throat> um, was Bobby, was Bobby, Bobby still in the misfits at that point or was he already gone? He, he was out a few years, but um, uh, what happened was Bobby's original drummer. I want to say, Patrick Blank, maybe was the name, or Nath. I don't remember what, who the drummer was. But sure. uh, I guess the guy OD'd, so Bobby had this gig, and and I started filling in, and before you know it, I, was, I recorded, I think I recorded two albums with him.
Hmm. Uh, Act Your Rage and another one. Okay, that's his first Although one. No, I never yeah. got paid for it. Never got paid for it. That's another story. But you know, that's a, that's an interesting story, and I think I hope we got a minute to talk about that later. But it's but I I, I love the Undead. I think they were like a underrated band. And Bobby still got Bobby's the only misfit that I've actually talked to for an extended period of time, and I think he's a super nice guy. Um, so did um. Did you so you're you're hanging out with the misfits, you knew these guys. Was there never a time where they were like, Oh man, Robo's sick, we really need a fill in drummer? Did you ever like sit in with the the misfits? I wish. <laughs> never happened, huh? No, I jammed I got to jam with Doyle. Um, sure. no, I didn't I didn't get to you know It's like, man, you're uh, just hanging there just waiting for something to happen to the drummer just so you can just no, jump Robo in. Robo never got Robo never got actually Robo got sick one time in my car. We were actually, <laughs> Robo and I went to see Black Flag, and he was at a Black Flag already in the city, and he had drank so much, and on the way home, I was driving, and he just looks at me and he goes, Steve, Steve, pull over, pull over. <laughs> so I pull over, and just opens the door and just throws up all over the place. It was it was like him seeing Steve, an ex-girlfriend. He had to drink to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't feel so good, Steve. <laughs> So did what was the so okay so help me with the time frame as far as like the undead versus Sam Hain was the undead after Sam Hain then uh, kind of during right so I was still playing with Bobby when we formed Sam Hain and then finally I had to give up the undead because Sam Hain was taking up too much time uh, not taking up time but it was consuming my time um, of rehearsals and whatnot and that we would go out on tour. So, you know, like it wasn't fair to Bobby. So, you know, Bobby, won. I don't know who Bobby got at that point. He's um, had about 500 different drummers and bass players. So. Yeah. I know. There was a famous, uh, there was a, there's a famous story about Bobby was about ready to go on tour. Like he was literally leaving in a couple of days and his drummer and his bass player quit. And I actually saw him on this tour and he toured with a, with a, with a um, drum machine. With tracks. Yeah. Yeah, I you weren't. Saw him. That wasn't. That wasn't you. You weren't the drummer that quit no, just two days before. No, no. no. Okay. That, that was somebody. Else. All right. You know. Uh, you know. I look. I, I don't. I don't know what those details were, but everybody's got their own Bobby story sure. and sure. nightmare. You want to call it, but sure. You know. Whatever. So did. So you. Uh, so Glenn call you up, or did you lobby for the job? For Sam Hayes. No. Uh, was um. <clears throat> Let's see how this works. So I remember being home, and Glenn calls me, and it was kind of like right after the Misfits uh, did their last show, and he said, "Yeah, I'm done with the Misfits. Not going to do it anymore. Going to do another band." And I said, "I said, yeah, I'm sure you're going to be successful, whatever you do." He goes, "How'd you like to, you know, do a band with me?" I'm like, "Uh." Sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how we we did it. It was the same thing, Johnny Danzig, right? He called me up. I was going through a divorce at the time. He called me up, and uh, he said, "I, you know, just fired my bass player. Need a bass player." I said, "I don't know any." He goes, "How about you?" And I go, "I'm not a bass player." He goes, "You can play bass." I go, "Okay." <laughs> I go, "When's the tour start?" He gives me the day. I go, "Shit, I got to move my." Move up my divorce. I call my attorney the next day. I'm like, we got to move the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, how uh, many? 
how many men have chosen Danzig over their wives? A lot, a lot. <laughs> so, weird. well, this is my this uh, this year's my 15 year anniversary in Danzig. Is that right? So, so it's funny because like Tommy and yourself and you guys have been around a lot longer than that than that you know the original classic lineup or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's always yeah. it's always funny when that happens. You know, when I see a thing, it's like Robert Trujillo has been in Metallica for 18 years. I'm like, wow, he's been in longer than the other two guys put together or whatever. You know, it's it's always kind of strange. But so and, and Johnny Johnny Kelly's been in longer than any of us with Danzig, as far as right? amount amount of playing years, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. I was I was such a I saw the band a few times with the I, I've seen all the I don't know if I've seen every different lineup, but I've seen most all the different lineups. But anyway, not not the point. So so it's funny you go from so the Misfits were popular, man. I mean, you know, in big cities they drew huge crowds. They were arguably the most popular punk band on the face of the earth. In Detroit, they could draw a thousand people. You know, I mean, they were big. Um, so yeah. so. Glenn makes a decision that he wants to go a different direction, obviously. And, and, and it was like, so you get involved with this, but obviously, but you know, Sam Hain didn't have the, I mean, they weren't pulling the same numbers, right? It was kind of like a, a step. I don't want to say a step backwards because it was, it wasn't a step backwards musically, but it was like, you sort of like starting over, wasn't it? Um, yes and no. Right. There, there were, um, I, to be honest with you, we never did a show that there was nobody there. That sure. would be a lie. Um, we did shows like um, the, the Stardust Ballroom in uh, L.A. at the time, and we had more people at our show than Motorhead had at their show across the street. And hmm. we had over 2,000 people. Wow. So, you know, and that was before the REP on Holy Passion came out. So, you know, we were drawing good numbers. I was making great money for a kid. Uh, you know, I was probably making over a thousand dollars a week at the time, you know, so I, you know, and I was what, 19 years old, mm. 20 years old. So, um, yeah, we, it wasn't, you know, look, people were, people were thinking they were going to hear the Misfits part two. That's, that wasn't what it was. You know, Glenn has the ability to change his musical direction. Sure. Like most people can't, right? Because a lot of people get pigeonholed into one thing. He could have he could have wrote another, you know, uh, skulls or you know, ghouls night out, whatever whatever it was. But he chose not to. And if you if you listen to, you know, the whole legacy of, of Danzig, right? So Misfit Sam Hain Danzig, they're three different sounding bands. Sure. But you could feel and, but Sam Hain is clearly the link between the two. I mean you can hear the you could sort of see a linear progression, I think. Well, yeah, of course. But again, you know, Sam Ain and more of these tribal beat things rather than, the, you know, the simple beat that the Misfits had. And, sure. you know, Danzig was more the the hard rock metal feel. Um, so, the, you know, it was kind of like the in-between thing. And, it was, and you know, again, he's, he's very, you know, Glenn just isn't one color, hmm. you know, he'll, 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 he'll turn into anything he wants to turn into.
Spears, obviously, the you know there was a serious, a serious acrimony between Jerry and Glenn, and that was what it was. Were you able to sort of walk the rope? Were you were you able to stay friends with everybody through that, or was there a, a was it like oh. Steve? You got to you got to pick sides here. Or was it never really as ugly as we were led to believe <laughs> in the public? Uh, I you know I can't say it wasn't ugly between those two. I mean you know there, you know it's a business, and at the sure. end of the day, it's about. It's it's business, and it's a lucrative it's a lucrative business. The misfits are a lucrative business, you know, at this point, right? Of course it is. Um, so you know, I'm happy they were able to put their differences aside and go out and you know play those songs. It's um, it's. But, but, but my, I, I guess I, my my question: Were you were you able to na- navigate it? Where you were kind of were you were you able to stay friends with everybody throughout throughout this the last thirty absolutely. years? That's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had no rift between Jerry or Doyle. And, you know, I mean, even when I left Sam Hain, I always spoke to Glenn. I, I never had bad blood. It was just, sure. And everybody goes different ways sometimes. And, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um. So, so the the Danzig gig that's a pretty like I said I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge geek for all things for all things Danzig. Um, you looking forward to playing the second album and it's entirely the, this year, right? You're gonna, you guys are going to do that? Uh, that'll be great. Is yeah. it kind of weird? Is it kind of weird playing something? I always wonder when a so you get you know obviously Glenn's the only guy left from the from that from that album is it is it weird playing music that that you weren't around for the first time or is it just is it just fun you just don't even think about it like that i don't think of it like that they're glenn songs okay uh, and glenn is the reason why people go to danzig and glenn is the reason why people go see the misfits now right uh jerry wasn't pulling those numbers by himself sure. or with the other yeah there. and Absolutely. you know so um, Danzig has been the most successful in the past 10 years than it was with the original guys. Uh, we played to more audiences um, than ever and had more sold-out shows than ever. And that, was, that came from Glenn's now. Um, I think we put on a good show and Look, there's certain people like a lot of times they like original lineups, and I, and I understand, you know, but this lineup has been like this since, you know, well, Tommy's been back uh, since 2008, so that's 13 years along with myself and Johnny, and I've been in there, you know, uh, uh, 15 years, you know, this year. So, you know, we're the original to the original. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, you're the, you're the lineup that's been around longer than the original lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. Uh, these songs, I look at them as Glenn songs. You can't take away anything from the original guys, and I won't do that. That's not me. But I don't think of it as that. I think of, you know, I'm playing one of Glenn songs, and it's an honor to do it and a blessing for sure. Um, and I, I can't wait to get back out there and do it. So you're you're still on the East Coast, right? I mean, you're you're are you still a New Jersey guy? I am. And Glenn's Glenn's in LA, right? Or is he back out in the yeah. East Coast too? Okay. No. Are you guys no. all? Are you guys all over the place? 
Yeah, uh, Tommy's in California as well, and Johnny's in Texas. Texas, okay. So, so your your day job is playing for dancing. I mean, that's that's your top priority. Well, that's what you schedule well, so, around. I also own a sound, a little small sound company, and I also um, mix sound for bands. Um, you know, and I have a recording studio at home. That, gotcha. You know. Do you work around your touring schedule? Like I assume next year, you know, I know you guys are playing some shows this year and I assume next year, probably back on the road. Um, I certainly do you, no, you do your own band too. Tell me, tell us about this band. Cause I actually, I, I did not have a chance to listen, but you, you front a band also. Yep. Uh, it's called black 29 B L A K 29. Um, it's a, something that I started, um, a while back with my, uh, writing partner, uh, Dan Tracy, and uh, we have an album coming out on Cleopatra, hopefully by September. Um, Is that your first? Will that be your first? Uh, no, it'll actually be the second, but the okay. first one on a uh, And we, we're doing a few cover songs that have um, just two songs that have Tommy Victor, Johnny Kelly, mm-hmm. and, and co, and co um, and kind of singing with me is Yerky 69 from the band 69 eyes okay so it's uh it's it's pretty cool and like i said it should be out in september now musically you, me, and, musically how right. is that what kind what kind of uh what kind of style are we talking um well some people say it sounds like the cult i don't hear it but maybe hmm. i'm wrong i don't uh you can check it there's a video on uh youtube cool um Call sweet nothing, and um, but um, yeah. So it's it's you know what I I write the way I want to write, and I don't I don't care. You know I can't care about what people think because Glenn once told me you have to write what's true to yourself, right? If you try to get on a trend, trends will pass you by. You write what's true to yourself and how, and, and you know, because you're stuck with it the rest of your life. Yeah, it makes sense. Pretty and, good, uh, yeah, it makes sense. Pretty good advice. Right, and that's that's what I go by. So, what do you do? Do you, do you play guitar and and sing, or what do you do in this band? I, well, uh, I sing. Okay. On the on the album, I you know I do drums, um, and Dan does guitar and bass, and uh, I do vocals, and I you know him and I write the songs, so it's. It, it works out to be perfect. And we're putting an actual live band together as we speak. And it's, it's kind of, you know, that's the thing. It's like keeping a, getting a, finding a band, putting a band together is hard. Keeping a band together is even harder. Yeah. Right. It's, it's always a tough thing, but, uh, you know, we've made it so we can have a, uh, if anybody doesn't want to be in it, be, be really easy to replace the next person. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able? So, so that's Black 29. Yeah, B-L-A-K. Yeah. Yeah.
so were you able so like doing the morning noise thing are you still i mean you still friends with the guys from the neighborhood like the original lineup are you still in contact with the guys are you going to be is there a possibility of playing a show or is that that ship passed we just we just had a rehearsal uh the original guys and um yeah so we're hoping that maybe um we're going to get some shows uh next year do you like a release show Hmm. cool yeah yeah. Now I, I so, uh, Tom Tom hasn't mentioned this, but I actually see there's a link between the two of you. Um you, link between Steve and I? Yeah. Um you actually did a solo single, Steve, according to Discogs anyway, is that correct? And you did a sing uh, a solo single in nineteen eighty six. Is that correct? You did Runaway? Uh, you did a you did a single called Runaway, right? You did the old Del Shannon song? Yep. Yeah. So uh what happened was um, I, I was looking to go to recording school at the time and the guy where we recorded the morning noise, the studio where we recording morning noise, Sam Hain, the undead, um, he said to me, he says, you know, recording a lot is a really, you know, there's theory to learn, but really it's about hands on. He said, instead of spending all that money going to recording school in Manhattan, why don't you come here? I'll give you a reduced rate and you record some songs and you'll be hands-on throughout the entire process. So the morning noise was kind of broken up in some sense. And so I said to I was telling Mike, our singer, he goes, well, I have a song that I want to record. I'll go in with you. So we'll, we'll do two songs. And I want, I never had sang before. So I'm like, all right, I'll, um, I'll try it. You know, why not? So I'll try singing. And I always liked the song Runaway from Dale Shannon. So I'm like, uh, so it was myself and Mike and Chris. And then Chris's brother, Mike Morant, came in and did guitars and keyboards. And I kind of engineered it uh, along with the engineer to learn how to how to use compressors and things like that. And uh, I, I learned, you know, a wealth of knowledge from from doing that. And so I decided that I was going to, you know, press up a hundred of these 45s for, for myself. And um, so it was, uh, that's exactly what I did.
That's very cool. And the link there is, Tom, you are from the uh, hometown of Del Shannon, correct? It's true. I live in a very, very small town in Michigan, about 4,500. And Del Shannon grew up here and graduated high school here in the 50s. Oh, that's cool. Yep. That's awesome. He, we have a we we have a we have a statue of him somewhere. Neil, let's put that we'll put that picture put that back picture up, up of you yeah, standing yeah, yeah. by the yeah. you standing by the Del Shannon. So yeah, I, I definitely have heard Runaway and Hats Off to Larry and uh, yeah. Got to keep searching, searching. <laughs> I, yeah, I've definitely heard all those songs. As a matter of fact, one time I think in the eighties he came back and played like the high school football field. Wow. There you go. There you so, go. Yes. And, there we go. Listen, and, we don't have much. We don't have much to hang our hats on here. <laughs> so we take what we can get. And and and. <laughs> And Steve, you you'll be amazed to see this again on Discogs. The last time this single sold, even though you only pressed up a hundred, the last time it sold, it sold for five hundred and fifty dollars. So there you go, my friend. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mama would. It it's funny, you know, because like if in like hindsight, a lot of these people, you know, you hear these stories. You know, Tesco V always tells a story about how he's trying to sell the early Meat Men record for two dollars, and there'd be a whole box of them sitting there, and nobody wanted them, and now they go for hundreds of dollars each. I guess if you really think your band's going to make it, you should stash a box of everything under your bed, right? I guess, yeah. Well, I don't think I ever thought that you know, Misfits records would be going for thousands of dollars. You know, um, when they were pressed. I mean, if I would have known that, I would have bought. 100. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting because you know you're talking. So Neil mentioned that your the original Morning Noise seven inch goes for crazy money. You know, it was a thousand copies of them, and there's probably only half of them are probably still around. You know, mom probably threw away. You know, moms all over America probably threw threw away the other ones. Yeah, so right. It's, and, and I'll ask you specifically about this because you were involved with these, and I won't. I don't. I'm not going to ask you to you know go into somebody else's mind. But so the Sam Hain catalog has long been out of print to the point where and not just Sam Hain but also the Misfits and Danzig but and the early Danzig stuff but I know you don't you know you don't really have involvement with that so I don't I don't necessarily you don't necessarily have insight but the the the, the Sam Hain bootleg market is so lucrative I mean you can get such good quality Sam Hain records and they're so um they're really pretty easy to get now and like semi almost getting to be legit. Do you, do you know why those albums are not in print? Is that a label thing or is that a Glenn decision thing? Or do you, do you, do you know this stuff? Um, let's see. I'm trying to see the, uh, are you trying to be diplomatic? Because if you just want to tell me to piss up a rope, you can. If it's none of my business, I'm just <laughs> curious because I know a million people are asking why there's some money to be made there. You know, I mean, these these things are worth, you know, a, a couple thousand run of these things would be very lucrative. There are some legal issues. Ah, okay. Um, Stupid lawyers. It's funny, you know, because the misfits is you know we're just joking about the misfits are very lucrative. You know who's really got rich over the years? The freaking lawyers, right? The blood sucking leeches of lawyers. Wow. <laughs> That's what, but it is what it is. Oh. Is it is this something that is this something that as far as you know? I mean, and once again, the thing with those bootlegs, the artists, yourself, Glenn, everybody else from those early Anishim record, you know, from Anishim and Unholy Passion, the records are being sold, but you guys aren't getting paid, you know. And right. it's, it's, it's oh, a shame. I know. Um, yeah, because the last three years should was, what, 2000, 2001, I think. That was the CD, that box, the CD box set, yeah. Well, which also goes for crazy money. You want to get valuable CDs. Sam Haynes CDs go for $35, $40. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But, pretty nuts. 
It is, I, and I hope. I, is it something that is it something that's being worked on, or is it kind of just uh, given up on at this we're, point? We're trying. You're trying. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah. And like I said, I know there's legal issues and everything else, and I don't want to. I don't want you to. You know, it's it's. I always wonder that too, man. The 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 Danzig Misfits Samhain bootleg market. It's like its own industry. It's yeah, crazy. it is. It is. Um, it's pretty crazy. So, all right. So listen. So you're, you you what's your I'm trying to think. That was that was my that was really my the question that I really wanted to ask. So so, what's your favorite? You're playing with you're playing with Dan's and rocking out. What's your favorite song to play? Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I think uh, bodies and godless. Uh, also from the, the third album. Hmm. Yeah. Um, long way back from hell. Oh, great. Checking out. Um, you know, man, you know what? They're just so, you know, when you listen, when you're standing on stage with Glenn and you're, you're, you're playing and you're listening to him croon, you kind of get lost in the whole thing, right? And before you know it, the show is over and you're sitting there going, shit, I, I, of course I had a, I had an amazing time, but I got lost in the moment of, just li- playing these songs, listening to these songs. It's kind of like an outer body experience in some sense. But um, yeah, I mean, it, so it is kind of. Songs, no, good. You know, I'm saying there's so many songs that I, I love, and, and even some of the stuff, the, uh, the, uh, the um, latest stuff like Devil on Hi- uh, Highway 9. Yep. You know, it's just, you know. We had a great time a few years ago when we did um, um, uh, Danzig Three in its entirety. So, you know, it was it was great. That early stuff that was it was magic, no question about it. Um, and yeah, and and yeah, it, it, but once again, it's it's it was man, it was just I was a young man when those albums came out, or you know, I was mid teens, and they just hit me, hit me in the hit me in a perfect spot. And you know, as you get older, you listen to music different. It's like the music that came out when you were 15, 16 years old, man, that is the music that sticks with you, I think. There's some absolutely that age. So it, it is kind of crazy, right? A kid from New Jersey, you know, your first your first seven inch got pressed by your mom, and then you're gonna go play like Cycle Las Vegas, and you're probably gonna play for like twenty thousand people, right? <laughs> or go to Europe, these European festivals, and play for literally hundreds of thousands of people, right? Yeah, it does Can't suck. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. And you know, the ladies seem to like dancing still too. So maybe you can get some of the uh, you know the, the the scraps, right? Some of what he tosses aside. The rest of the band, the rest of the band can have a little leftovers. <laughs> Weird. Well, I, got, I, got, I got a beautiful hot wife, so there you, you know, go. I don't need it. There you go. I, and she's, I, I she's got, probably enjoyed having stuff. you home. She's probably enjoyed having you home for the last year. Now it's time to go back on the yeah, road, right? I met her at a Danzig after show party, so you know there you go. she's she's used to the whole thing. It's funny. I think about these kids from all these kids from New Jersey, all these Italian guys from New Jersey, right, Neil? All these, you know, the misfits were all Italian guys from New Jersey. All I could think is, a, I bet you their mothers cooked them amazing meals after practice, right? Having <laughs> these big meals. <laughs> am, I, am I wrong? I'm not wrong, am I, Steve? Your mothers cooked you guys amazing meals when you were when you were kids playing I'll, I'll bands, tell right? You, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a quick morning noise story. So, my uh, morning noise used to rehearse in my 
my bedroom in the apartment <laughs> my mom oh the neighbors and, were you're very popular with the neighbors i bet uh and i lived on the second floor right so <laughs> my but my mother would tell people mind your business he's not doing any he's not harming anybody he's having a good sure. time so she didn't care but she would make you know we were italian uh, and she would make her pot of sauce every Sunday morning, you know, with pound of meatballs. And uh, Mike, our singer, he had this long microphone cord. So while we were playing, he was in the kitchen eating all the pasta. That she <laughs> and she would come home and go, I guess my, there's like two meatballs left. I guess Mike was here. And, you know, cause she would leave when we rehearsed and, and he would sit in the kitchen eating my mom's pasta and meatballs while we were, you know, in the bedroom playing. And he would kind of be singing in between bites. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like it's like Goodfellas meets punk rock, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, exactly. In fact, Tommy, um, was it Jack from AOD? We had a song. We have a song called Laser Lights and and they renamed it Great Big Bites. So uh, there you go. kind of fitting for what's it at the time. Well, listen, Steve. I'm gonna. Uh, we will. We will let you go. We appreciate you talking to us. Is there? I would say. Is there anything else? Is there anything else you'd like to add as we as we wrap things up? This is where Look, I put you on the you spot. Know, all of us appreciate the support of all of our projects, and you know um, that's a testimony to all. You know, I don't even want to call them fans. I want to call them friends because they're friends. And sure. the great thing about, especially like in the Danzig thing. We see so many of the same people that it's it's kind of like 
it's kind of like seeing long lost family when we go to a town you see, you see the people over and over and you, you reconnect sure. and with morning noise a lot of these fans have kind of been supporting that and uh, been supporting black 29 and we we really appreciate it you know this is our art this is what we do and uh, we, we feel blessed to be able to share it with everyone well, thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, good luck with the uh, good luck with all your projects. And everybody, check out Morning Noise specifically, but check out all of Steve's projects. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, thank you for your time, and uh, hope to talk to you guys again. Yeah, man. I'm gonna I want to introduce myself if I ever run into you in the wild. Yeah, Please definitely. Do. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. All right. Appreciate thanks, it, Steve. Mate. Thanks so much. Yeah. I stay safe. Okay. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Well, that was that was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got a chance to talk to Steve. Neil, he's he's gone, and I can smell the pasta sauce of cooking. So I think I'm gonna uh, take off also. Yes. And uh, and you probably have to pee as well. I'm guessing. You know, I really don't have to pee too bad, which is nice. But I know that uh, we're gonna have to book some more uh, old English guys, so you get a chance to talk more. Well, I'm, we'll, hoping, we'll, well, I'm, well, I'm hoping because we'll you mentioned Harley. That's. Uh... Yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah cool. well, you probably noticed that, right? That when you were like reminiscing about Sam Hain and Danzig, I just, uh, I basically just shut down because I, my only questions would have been stupid because I haven't really heard either band, so I was, you know, I would have sounded stuff, like an man. idiot. Good you stuff, know? yeah. But listen, I, I, I guess I'd love to have Harley on, but I'd be afraid he'd stab me. No, I, th- I, I actually, I, I think we might actually get on very well. I have a feeling. Yeah, so. that's probably true. We probably got the same attitude about things. Because I'm pretty black and white too. So. And I do love some Cro-Mags. <laughs> yes, you are, Neil. Yes, you are. <laughs> Anyway, every, hey, listen, thanks for listening. We appreciate Steve coming on with us. It was, it was a real thrill for me, honestly. I, I seriously was as nervous as I've been. And uh, he, he was super, super easy to talk to, super laid back dude. And super it, was, nice, it was a lot yeah. of fun. Yep. A lot was. of fun. So, anyway. Cool. Yeah. Keep a little uh, mark in your heart uh, and, uh, and stay free. And smell you later. Yep. Bye bye, everybody. Bye.